One of my favorite things to do with dogs is to watch them figure out how to problem solve. I like watching them figure out how to navigate the world that we're asking them to live in and to have fun while doing it. At School for the Dogs, we specialize in selling enrichment toys for dogs. These are also sometimes called work-to-eat toys. They can help a dog refine their problem-solving abilities, can help them burn off physical and mental energy in a way that is not destructive. It can help slow down their eating, and it can also just help them enjoy themselves. I kind of think puzzle toys might be the canine equivalent of playing Fortnite or doing the crossword. School for the Dogs' new Brainy Box is a monthly subscription box where every month we will send you one of our favorite canine enrichment toys along with one of our favorite types of treats. You will only receive things that have been vigorously tested by our staff and student body. Sign up today at schoolforthedogs.com slash brainybox. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your first month or your payment for the full first year when you use the code brainybox15. Hello, dear listener. Chances are you are someone I have never met, but I am going to go ahead and guess that you love dogs and maybe you grew up dreaming of being a veterinarian or swimming with dolphins riding horses or maybe we're just fascinated by watching ants make their holes i'm just figuring that you are someone who has long been fascinated by animals and all the interesting things they do So just with this bit of information about you, I am going to go out on a limb and tell you what I think you should do with your life. I think you should become a dog trainer. When I started down the path to become a professional dog trainer, I had no idea what a fascinating and exciting world I was entering into. And I certainly had no idea that it could be such an interesting career. I did imagine a kind of perfect workday that involved hanging out with dogs and watching dogs and learning about dogs and talking to people about their dogs. And that perfect workday really did become my reality. If you can imagine this kind of life for yourself and you're either thinking about a new career or maybe you're just ready to explore taking a hobby to the next level, you should go ahead and apply to the School for the Dogs professional course. This is a six-month fully virtual program with a curriculum that really delves into the science of animal behavior while guiding you through the kind of practical exercises we've found trainers need in order to hone their skills working with both dogs and people. For our next cohort, Starting at the end of August, we are only taking on four students. It's a very small program where we offer a lot of personalized attention and mentorship. If you'd like to learn more, visit schoolforthedogs.com slash professionalcourse22.
Elise McAdam is here with me today. I am excited to talk to you because I think you're the only person, not, you're, you're probably the first, probably the person I've known longest who's been on this podcast. No, I guess I, I talked to my friend Daisy, who I've known since I was 14, but second to maybe Daisy, <laughs> in 200 plus episodes, you are someone who knew me from my, my previous life. I knew and, you from a, many previous lives, probably. And who uh, I have now known as, uh, as a friend, as a client, and as uh, an apprentice. Yeah. Yep. We go way back. <laughs> and, and you've known me as, well, <laughs> you want to tell the story of how we first so, met? So I met you when I was ghostwriting a book about wedding resources in New York City. Mm-hmm. And you were writing engagement column. Yeah, I was, right, I was at uh, the New York the Observer. Observer in, must have been 2002? Yeah, probably. Uh, and I was uh, the assistant to the editor, and I wrote a weekly column where I interviewed three different couples who were getting married, and it was called The Love Beat, Countdown to Bliss. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and it was a bit of a scramble sometimes to find couples, because this was long before social media. I had all these, like hacks of finding couples I, I remember I remember seeing like a woman with a big diamond ring on the subway and like writing her a note and slipping her a note once or going to like places where people register and like going up to people and oh that's so awesome like I didn't know you did that that's oh my great. god yeah I was like I had all these tactics to try and I mean I would also just like email everyone I knew periodically but uh but yeah I think you called looking for like how do you get your I guess you were like how do you get your announcement in the paper I'm writing this right, guy yeah. and we, you and I got to talking and you were like oh well I'm getting married and I was like stop everything <laughs> I have to have her in the column <laughs> not knowing anything about you but I was sure that you would be interesting <laughs> right no it was funny because like I I talked to you first for the book and then we talked more after that mm-hmm. and like yeah yeah and you are one of like four or five mostly women that I'm still friends with who, whose weddings I Oh, that's awesome. Wrote about, who now have teenage kids. <laughs> and actually, all of them that I can think of are still married. So you're funny. You're a little like, you don't know each other, but you are like a little club in my mind. <laughs> that's great. Of, of people. If you, if, if you are one of these people, you know who you are. <laughs> I, yeah, I remember early on when we were first starting School for the Dogs, you, I must have emailed you in some email blast and you were you wrote back and you were like oh my god I've always wanted to be an animal trainer this is so cool yeah something like that yeah. right yeah is that was, a, was it in an email that I sent that you first heard that I was doing this or did I tell you in person I don't I remember I can't remember how and at the time so I had Sherry right and he, right. he was like a few Sherry years was old. a what Sherry was a Cairn Terrier he was a Cairn Terrier he was Sheridan Sheridan we called him Sherry and how did you how did Sheridan come into your life so I had my parents had a rescue Cairn Terrier. So in New York, our dog in New York uh, was a rescued Cairn Terrier named Muffin. We didn't and this is you, you growing up in this, Manhattan? Yeah, when we moved to New York, I was in the middle of high school. Where'd you go to high school again? I went to the, the last three years of high school at Trinity. In um, Manhattan. In, in I Manhattan. forgot that's also something we have in common is where Manhattan, yeah. Manhattan kids. <laughs> and um, so she was around, Muffin was around, for a really long time. And I be, I love Cairn Terriers. Mm-hmm. Um, and right after I moved in with Steve, I was like, 
before anything, I wanted to get, I was recovering from the death of Muffin and I wanted to, and so we just kind of looked around and we found this breeder. She was reputable and also an enormous Star Trek fan. Like her house is full of these, like, what do you call it? The black velvet portraits of Star Trek characters. Um, anyway, and then, uh, and that, so we got Sherry from her and this was right before September 11th. We, we got him in the summer mm-hmm. and literally the first day that he was allowed to go out after getting his shots was September 11th. Mm-hmm. So. Wow. So you had Sherry and then 10 or so years later, you got <laughs> an email from me being like, Hey, I'm a dog trainer now. Yeah. So I, like, um, and, and I remember we just had him like jumped, you know, we brought him into work with you actually, even though he was, you know, no spring chicken. And mm-hmm. um, do you remember writing me that, being like, "Oh my god, yeah, I wanted I, to be an yeah, animal trainer." I, yes, yeah, I do, I do, because you know, I, I actually did. It seem random to hear from me and being like, "Oh, you're a dog trainer now." <laughs> it did, and it didn't, because I think you and I had had a lot of dog conversations, right? Right. And, you know, because you know, I I think it, I think you and I may share this. Like, I sort of tell a lot of the stories of my life through the dogs that I have known, like from. You know, mm-hmm. from the time I was like really little, like, you know, even like dogs that weren't my dog, dogs that were like. You remember the world through dogs. I remember the yeah. world through the dogs that I knew. I guess I asked like about myself and like what it was like to hear that for me, because I feel like there were some people for whom it seemed like a really random thing when I was like, I'm going to become a dog trainer. I remember someone was like, so that you can write about the experience of becoming a dog trainer for a magazine. And I was like, no, no. <laughs> so that I can train dogs. <laughs> <laughs> and, and other people were like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That's something that Annie should be doing for a living. But then on, now on the other side, I feel like there are people, well, I mean, I think a lot of people I know have no idea that I ever did anything else other than dog training professionally. So. Right. No, I remember thinking that, first of all, it made total sense. And it just sounded like this amazing I, I, idea. I, I remember thinking about making like this career transition in a way that felt like no one's going to take me seriously ever about anything again. <laughs> I guess that's just we all have our like insecurities about anything. I think we all do that. But the funny thing is, and I can say this for you, I cannot say this for me, but I can say it for you because I believe this for you, that um, it's the kind of thing that actually gives you more credibility because to engage in such a big transition means you have to take it seriously and you have to really believe in what you're doing and you have to you know it's it is a big course of study like what you yeah although there are certainly people who take no course of study yeah but <laughs> that yes <laughs> and do quite well for themselves um so uh i remember sherry i don't remember doing training with sherry but then i remember you got uh, I don't know how much you want to talk about so the, the Linus. Yeah, and well, we can talk about it. I mean, you know, yeah. So we got Linus, which is actually an interesting. I mean, if you feel like sharing about it, which you don't have sure. to. Sure. Well, I can because in some ways it led me to you okay. know the apprenticeship. Yeah. So I'll tell the shorts, just short version. Okay. Without I'll, crying, I'll elaborate without crying. <laughs> oh, I know it's so hard. we got Linus, uh, who was as, a Cairn Terrier. He was also puppy. a Cairn Terrier as Sherry was getting older, and you and got you came to puppy kindergarten. At School for the Dogs, That's right. then located in my living room, <laughs> OG, <laughs> which was awesome. And and this was sort of the moment where um, 
when he was a puppy, this wasn't really an issue. But as he got older, Here, move a little bit closer. As he got older, Linus started developing a lot of anxiety. Um, that in the in the end, I sort of really realized is was related to being in the city. And then Sherry died really suddenly. He um, just was kind of weird one day, and I took him to the vet, and the vet happened to have a sonogram person in the vet that day, and they did a sonogram, and there was a gigantic cancerous tumor on his heart. And, you know, and he just, he just couldn't make it. Um, and right after that, Linus became super, super anxious, and um, I could barely get him to, you know, like he, he was barking all the time, but he didn't want to walk very much, and he would only do certain things. And How old was he by that point? He was... I think probably about 18 months old, maybe a little. I don't remember the specifics because it was like 10 years ago now, but I remember he was, I remember he was a difficult puppy in puppy kindergarten. He was, yeah. I don't remember what was difficult. (laughs) I don't have that memory of very many puppies. He was kind of like, I think he was like almost like a little ADHD in his like, Mm. like he could learn things really quickly, Mm -hmm. but he, um, you know, would kind of just kind of like sail off into another, you know, arena. And I, you know, if I look back, you know, I think probably the city was always an issue, but it didn't become, it became really pronounced after Sherry died. Mm -hmm. And time went past and um, there was an opportunity. Someone said, we have this puppy, um, you know, a, a Chesky Terrier. And once again, I remember when you were like, I think we should get another dog. I was like, great, good idea. Just maybe don't get another terrier. Oh. <laughs> and then you're like, I'm getting a Chesky terrier. It's like, great. I know. But the funny thing is that, so Preston, the Chesky terrier that we have, was kind of the opposite in personality. Um, oh, God, yeah. Super. Um, Mel, like, well, Mel is the wrong word. I don't, Preston is a very unusual dog. Personality-wise, he's very think? unusual personality. How would, you, how would you describe him? He's—I mean—he's very nervous, but very um, like he's nervous around new people and new new things. But once he is used to you, he is just like um, a schmoo. Like he's just this kind of marshmallow that kind of like once settles in. He's like yeah. an old man, kind of, <laughs> sort of. Um, and he still does he go outside yet or still no? He goes. I mean, well, I I usually take him out on the we have a little, the balcony, have the little balcony with, with grass on it now. I've put mm-hmm. like grass um, and um, but he's like yeah he gets very nervous outside. But um, if you were to see you haven't seen him in a really long time. Does he, to, he doesn't go for walks outside still, right? No. No. Although he now does a lot of things that he didn't used to do, like mm-hmm. he loves to like run out into the apartment hallway he runs onto mm-hmm. the elevator um but it's an, it's intense anxiety yeah he has intense anxiety but he's uh he's made enormous strides in terms of his right. ability to be around new people and things like that and um he's such a sweetie he's also a real sweetie so so, so back any, in the time. long the long the long story is that um in the end after a lot of a ton of work we just ended up rehoming a ton Linus. of work to after a ton of work to do what? Because I think you didn't really describe that. Right. So yeah. Linus suddenly it felt very sudden. Um, they were the dogs were fine together for kind of a long time, um, and then right when Preston turned one, Linus kind of really changed his mind, like very suddenly, and became very antagonistic towards Preston, and through multiple 
uh, efforts with School for the Dogs. We had trainers and medication and all sorts of um, things. We did a lot of different sessions and a lot of different work. And um, to try and get them to coexist. Exactly. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. To try to get them to coexist and also to try to get both of them to be happy together. You and know? to be clear, they were like he was attacking Preston. He was attacking Preston. Um, and what were some of the triggers? It could be sometimes it was sort of out of nowhere. It felt like um, if you just sort of saw him, sometimes it would be, you know, sort of standard things like if they got cornered in an area together or if um, like the doorbell rang and they both ran up to the front door. I think in retrospect, it might have been like you could see elements of resource guarding, but it was never clear in terms of, oh, he has my food or he has my toy and I want that from him. It was not an obvious mm-hmm. kind of resource guarding that, you know, you could... So what were some of the the solutions that didn't work? Well, <laughs> or that were attempted, so I should say. So the medication, we tried medicating both of them with different medications. Um, and you worked with Dr. Christensen, Dr. Tu? Mm-hmm. Both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, with behavior vets. Yeah. Who are, they're awesome. We, mm-hmm. and, um, and I also worked with our vet to kind of coordinate with all of that. Who's your vet? Um, well, at the time, um, we were seeing Dr. Mary Xanthos, um, but she is subsequently retired. So, mm-hmm. but that was the our, that was the vet at the time. So we tried that, and we did a lot of sort of just positive conditioning them to each other. We trained them separately. So I would work with you know we would work with Linus one week, and then Preston another week. We would. Um, have sort of special walk times for Linus. And I had the kids, my, my two children, who were also School for the Dogs volunteers for a while. They were kid decoys for, you know, mm-hmm. dogs who are nervous around kids. And this was over the course of years. You know, we really worked, well, when I say we, I think I probably just mean me. I, I worked really hard to try to get it, things to work together for them and you know our neighbors who always hated us because if it wasn't the dogs uh it was the children yeah I'm gonna, got... while we're talking i'm just gonna look up to try and give an exact number of the sessions that we did oh okay <laughs> um, <laughs> to, give, to, to give numbers yeah. To this. yeah so it lasted for a really long time and then finally like i just didn't want to i didn't want to really accept defeat because obviously i um i think it's an important thing to talk about this because i, I think you know Yes, it happened. It happened. It was also like I was really, I loved and continue to love Linus deeply. So I admit, it, you know, my refusal to accept failure. But, you know, I think it just became an issue where clearly there was unhappiness. And, you know, and my pride or whatever you want to call it really should not have taken precedence over Linus in particular's happiness. And his particular kind of anxiety, which definitely you could feel, I, I could feel it in the city. Once he got to a new home and the, his owner occasionally writes to me and sends me pictures and stuff once in a, you know, just very rarely, you know, occasionally, he's much happier, um, yeah. you know, and uh, he's a happy guy now. And um, So you did the hard thing, but you did, I think, the right thing. Yeah. Did you start out thinking, like, this is a solvable problem if I just put in the effort and the time? Yeah. This is a solvable problem if I love enough, exert myself enough, 
take you know take this problem you know super super seriously which i definitely did it wasn't i wasn't like you know cavalier but i just think ultimately it's an important thing that i would i would want to impart to people that it's not always about effort you know do you feel like um you have been a client with us for 3037 days according, <laughs> according to uh this what was it like for your family to make that, to um, do that? I think, I think the, the truth of the matter is I think it was the worst for me. I think that at the time the children were developing lives outside of the home and the idea of Linus being in a different house that made him happier was really comfortable for them. However, now the children have become completely obsessed with Preston now and they're older they're significantly older now so it's interesting how you know this this bond like goes in these funny cycles so it made them well maybe it just opened them up to be able to bond with Preston in a way rather than having to like yeah, navigate like between ways. the two of yeah. them yeah although i would say that this the closest preston has really solidified in this fascinating way in the last year which might be pandemic based or it might be just the age that they're at right now where they feel maybe they feel they're more teenagers. they're teenagers they may feel more comfortable like expressing uh you know How... physical love toward the dog than to their parents right now Aww. just also very possible but uh it was hardest for me it continues to be hard for me tell me what the upside was i mean i'm guessing the upside is you you decided maybe you wanted to learn more about dog training. Yeah, the well, I decided that this experience for me was something that might make me a good trainer. Because, you know, in terms of, I mean, first of all, I love working with dogs and I love that work. But also, I think, you know, there are times when people I know have worked with trainers and the kind of message that they get from them is... It's your fault. It's your fault. Why is that so sticky? I just, I, I, I'm putting together this episode this week, which by the time this airs, I guess we'll, I will have posted, but it's Cesar Milan talking to Jada Pinkett Smith and about the, like their longtime friendship with, with her mother. And so much of it co- seems like it always comes around to like, well, it's all about the human, you know, it's all about the human seems sort of like the, the refrain, you know, they're learning it from you. And like, I don't know why that's such a like sticky idea. I think it comes from like, like, are we just so egocentric that we think it's all about us all the time? Well, it is that kind of the American thing of like, you know, you almost libertarian, like you're responsible for everything. You're in charge of everything. You can control everything. And you have to like, you know, take responsibility. And it's like the Ayn Randian take on like own your, you know, and I think it's very popular at this particular moment culturally. Because um, I don't think Linus's issues had anything to do with you. <laughs> no, I don't think so either. I don't think, I think that... I think it was not a reflection of your anxiety. <laughs> but that's... Uh, By the way. And thank you. <laughs> like, but I do think that that's also um, a, a trend you see in parenting a little bit as well. One thing that I, I think that was in the Caesar interview was he kept saying um like you have to love yourself and you have to believe in yourself and you have to want to you know because I was also talking about like his like you know how he lived his dream of jumping the border and becoming a dog training and all about following his dream like you have to want it and 
believe it and you love yourself. And I was like, I, I know a lot of really, I'm thinking to myself, I know mm-hmm. a lot of really wonderful dog trainers who are, I think struggle probably with like a degree of self-love or like self-care who struggle with anxiety and depression and have all the like normal human behaviors and problems that we all have and personality quirks and traits and like they also know how to train dogs really well and maybe that does help inform some parts of their lives but the two things seem kind of I think self-consciousness is okay in almost every profession like and I think and I think having had negative experiences is probably a good thing in terms of figuring out sort of how to deal with somebody else having a similar, if not the same, but similar negative experience. Good way to put it. <laughs> so your experience of people, find, I, I kind of interrupted you because you were saying mm-hmm. your experience of pe- was people finding, people going to dog trainers and being told it was their fault. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the other thing also is I, I, I think this is something I can say, I don't always... Uh, practice what I preach, but I also think that living from a perspective of regret is not helpful when you're working with dogs. That it's better to sort of posit how to move forward. Like, okay, this is an issue that the dog has. Whatever happened, whatever previous training happened, it's over. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like similarly to that, I often think about how people obsess about the reason why a dog did something which is like kind of like that like rooted in the past or rooted in imagining rather than like rooted in you know moving forward and yeah addressing what's in front of you and the solution yes i mean to a certain extent like you're like the dog peed over there well there's a lot of possible for it some of which may be obvious and useful to know like oh is there a medical problem or whatever but others of other of those possibilities are not going to help you moving forward I, I think that that's the case also, you know, I have two kids and I, in some ways, I also think that that relates to, you know, my children as well. Like, you know, you can look at endless amounts of reasoning why. And so when my younger child, Sebastian, was in nursery school, he was eventually diagnosed with ADHD. But before that, I just got a lot of complaints from the school. And the complaints were very vague because he was doing stuff that was not like classic ADHD stuff. It was like weird and anxious stuff. And in retrospect, I think the school, again, was doing the thing that we just talked about with dog training, which is like, this is your fault. Make him better. And it was completely unhelpful. And (laughs) I still resent the school for it. And instead of saying, you know, something about this environment is having this effect on him. Can we talk about how to work with it? Or, or you know, just to, just I mean, just ask it what is going on, you know, I think is better than fix it. Mm-hmm. But whether it's because we're in New York, although I actually think that this is probably more of a common cultural thing in the United States right now, people just want to fix it. Mm-hmm. People just want to fix your kid, your dog, your, you know, faucet, whatever as fast as possible. The idea that there's going to be a process and that actually investing in the process might actually be just as interesting and rewarding as the quick fix is something that I think we would really benefit from understanding. Yeah. Yeah. So when you first started training with us then, was it was it surprising to you? Was it what you thought 
dog training would be, what animal training would be? Yeah, I mean, it was basically what I felt training would be like. I had done some puppy class with Sherry, obviously many, many years before. Um, and a lot of the practices were different. Like I remember one of the things that um, we were that happened was the um, shake the can to get them to, of pennies. To, so, but but a lot of the stuff that we worked on really made sense to me in terms of you know in the Sherry's class. In no, in oh. um, sorry, oh. in the school for the dogs classes. So it made sense to you. And do you remember sort of realizing that there were like different kinds of dog training out there then? Did that ever gel for you? Not until much later, actually. Like, I was just sort of thinking, this is the way, this is the way. Um, Because I didn't really shop around for, like, a training philosophy. I didn't sort of pursue, like, I, I knew what I responded to well. And I know what kind of turned me off, but... I remember actually this came up as a co- bit of conversation in um, the apprenticeship program because there are a lot more named styles of training now than when I first got into any kind of dog training. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got very, what is it? Is it control? Tra- wait, control is it? unleashed or no? There is control and then there is one that's balanced. Like, balanced. Oh, balance. Okay. Yeah. Balanced training. Okay. And that I was, and I was, and, and, so it's funny because... Like, that wasn't a term that you'd heard before. I had not heard that term before, and then when I saw it, I was, like, really turned off by it. How would you describe what balance training is to someone listening who has no idea what that is? You're, like, that, making a face. Yeah, uh, that to me did not strike me as balance. That to me struck me as... And the, the word I wanted, the word that came to mind more is, like, bossy. <laughs> like, it didn't strike me as balancing at all. It, it struck me as much more, like, you know, being very controlling um, when I... in. Yeah. in what I, I think, I mean, I think people, I, I think balance trainers sort of define it as using a mix of positive reinforcement and punishment as, as called for in order to achieve the best, fastest, and most humane, in their opinion, uh, yeah. result that you can achieve that's within what's right for the dog. And, I mean, it's complicated because no one is a purely positive reinforcement dog trainer. Like you can't go, you can't go through life, you know, training any animal without sometimes even accidentally. <laughs> right, right. But at the same time, I feel like the thing about the balance training, it it seems like the kind of uh, a well intentioned philosophy that when put into practice is so hard to enact like turns into mm-hmm. it skews more towards the punishment than to the positive uh-huh. um, which is and so all the videos that we kind of discussed in our the apprenticeship group were always like well this is a balance training situation and it was always like the dog was always looking kind of miserable and really confused and um, and it never seemed to produce like the kind of sort of happy result that you know, even in, even in demo videos, it just felt a little, it felt very forced and right. um, not entirely successful. And also not something that I felt like would be easily replicated by. Well, especially like with dogs like yours, like you have had a lot of experience with these very anxious 
Yeah, uh, different kinds of anxiety. Yeah, yeah, different types of anxiety. That like those are not dogs who I think would have responded well. To. Yeah, that may have been. Yeah, that may have been why I was was always like, even when we were discussing these videos, I was like, this just doesn't. Also, interestingly, a lot of the dogs in the apprenticeship program people also had different kinds of anxiety as well. So like all of us together were like, my dog would never have been able to handle that. And like, you know, like there were four of us, all of our dogs had, had different anxieties. So you expressed interest to me about doing the professional course after having done, I think I finally have it here. Oh, here. Okay. I got it. It's still loading very slow. <laughs> right. Behavior day training set. You want to you want to take some guesses here? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Just lay it on me. <laughs> Puppy basic manners follow up sessions. You did about fifteen of those. 2014, 2015, 2016, 2017. Day training. You did seventy two day training sessions. You did puppy kindergarten. You did behavior felt. Therapy follow-up sessions, <laughs> 65 of those. We did a lot. <laughs> we worked really hard. And that doesn't include the overnights yep. and dog buddying, which is what we used to do, a service that we don't offer anywhere. It's basically, we'll hang out with your dog. It's a lot of training. It's a lot of training. Yeah. So after working with us for all that time, at some point you expressed interest in doing the professional course. And I said, do it. And you were like, I don't know. Well, what's funny is that... And I was like, do it. What's funny, when you said you should do it, I was like, oh. I realized as I really thought a lot about it, um, because it was a, you know, the application process is non-trivial, like, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was like, I I don't... Well, I I finally had to do this thing where I I got Mm -hmm. very anxious about it, of course. And I finally had to do this thing where I was like, okay, it's due by this time. If I cannot complete everything by an hour before it's due, (laughs) then it's not meant to be. Mm -hmm. So I really like... And you did it. Yes. And no regrets. And no regrets. No, it was really good. It was a really good experience to... To To set that intention. To set that intention and do it. And and it also... um, So I guess... It meant a lot to to do it. So, (laughs) yeah. So, I mean... Before sort of talking, I guess, about the, the process, like, how do you see yourself now compared to how you see yourself going in? It then, was a then big, versus now. It was a big transformation in part because, you know, I, I came into the apprenticeship group um, with a lot of different experience. I was, like, older. My dog was older. Um, I, you know, I was the only person with children. So that gave me a really different perspective on, I feel like everything um i remember a lot of the sort of times we were talking about how to talk to clients about things and i remember saying a few times like well this is something that i sort of experienced on a playground once and it's Mm -hmm. very similar to this and you know and so i felt like in a way a lot of other life experience really connected well with the sort of school for the dogs training philosophy that it Mm -hmm. actually it pairs really well, and I, something that you kind of talk about a lot is like training training dogs and training humans. Mm-hmm. You know, has a lot. <laughs> there's a lot of parallels between in terms of how you work with, especially small children. And I would say that this is something that had a lot of ebbs and flows for me over the course of the course, which was learning how to uh, really take myself seriously. Like there would occasionally be these kind of setbacks where I would, you know, really 
you know, doubt myself and feel like this is not this is not something I can do. This is not, you know, I'm a real disappointment and my, you know, instructor thinks I'm really, you know, bad at this and I shouldn't continue. And then I'd just be like, okay, I've got to like regroup and buckle down Mm -hmm. and redouble my efforts here. And um, I found that some of the, we do have a few recordings Mm -hmm. of sessions that I, I think I did, I used a few of them in the end and they're really good as a student they're really good to work with because you can rewind and watch things again and Mm -hmm. see how the you know dog and the owner react to things and um that's that's really helpful because uh, there are times when you're like live in a session you're watching you're writing things down and um you know you might miss something or like you're watching the trainer and then you might want to go back and watch what the dog does or the other way around and one of the things that I really learned is that Preston, my nervous dog, who I was told not to say this, but he's actually not that bright. He's, he's a little <laughs> dumb. Um, but he works really so much better with an object. It is really interesting, the difference between asking him to do something without an object and then teaching him to do something with an object because it is night and day. Like it's so interesting. It's so interesting, um, and um, that was like a really exciting and fascinating thing to learn. And he also found it exciting and fascinating. And like you know, he learned how to do these crazy things, and he would get really um, yeah. But if you try and use like a hand target, he's like yeah. He, he gets this like kind of like oh okay, you know, <laughs> like hand targets okay. But if you tell him to do things like you know, even sit, he's a little like really okay like (laughs) it takes him a while whereas if you tell you know now like rolling a ball like it's like like, absolutely no problem problem. walk through a hoop get up on that thing yep totally all those things yeah so he learned a lot of that and then but then the other things were like okay (laughs) and even like I tried to train my children to train him and um (laughs) and like he, they cannot figure out how to get him to do a hand touch like they cannot do it at all like um and I, um, I loved, I, I love the, the class shadowing. Um, mm-hmm. uh, like I love, I, you know, the puppy, I did puppy kindergarten and I shadowed a lot of, um, day school and puppy day school just mm-hmm. because it, um, it really helped me, um, practice on dogs who weren't Preston. Well, where do you see yourself as far as animal training goes going forward? What would you? Where do you, where's your? Where do you see yourself in five years when both your both your boys <laughs> are in college in their twenties? Like... <laughs> so I, uh, I think I told you back when I started this that one thing I really I really love the um, I really love the classes. I love watching people like learn in a classroom setting, and I would like be really into. TAing first mm-hmm. of all, and then learning how to eventually move on to sort of you know teaching classes and working with people. And I do not know, like when we had these long discussions, especially after a couple of the um, lecture, the you know guest lectures, several of the people that I was in the class with were really interested in working with dogs with like real behavior problems. I uh, don't hundred percent know if I would feel comfortable at this, certainly at this point, like with that responsibility in part, because I know what it's like to have had the experience of dogs with real behavior problems and, and want solutions so badly. And, um, 
and knowing that you can't always find them. Mm -hmm. um, but um, at, at the moment, I think where I'm sort of most keyed in is the idea of, you know, teaching in classes and, you know, just sort of watching people, you know, in, in those like kind of like intense learning environment. That's so interesting. Yeah, I mean, there's so many people who want to work with dogs who have, like, severe behavior issues. But I, I actually liked teaching classes. I mean, I'm not teaching classes mm -hmm. right now, but I liked I liked being on my feet and kind of um, juggling the room, which a lot of people are like, this makes me crazy. How can <laughs> you have six dogs and 12 people? <laughs> and the room's only 400 square feet. And yeah, that I somehow never felt that overwhelmed. I said I somehow was able to just like be in the moment about it. Um, well, I'm excited that you did the program. I am I'm excited proud of you for too. going through it and doing so amazingly well with not the easiest dog and with two kids, which makes everything harder, I think. Yes. <laughs> well, now you know. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, I used to think people just use kids as an excuse for not getting things done, and now I know. I know they take up a lot of your like headspace. It's like your headspace, really. You know, my physical and space. your physical space. No, and they're but they're so great. Big thanks to Elise. If you are interested in our professional course, you can go ahead and apply through the end of June at schoolforthedogs.com slash professionalcourse22. I will be interviewing two other recent graduates in the next few weeks, but also we are offering new client free consults again, which you can book at, if you go to schoolforthedogs.com, you'll see a pop-up and you could book one of those consults with Leah or Sarah either one of whom would be happy to talk about their experience. Thanks as always for listening. You can visit us on Instagram at School for the Dogs, and you can support us by shopping at storeforthedogs.com.